Man, can you let the worship team know how much you love and appreciate them? These guys, so much goes on behind the scene that you don't know about. Uh, half our team today, a lot of them were traveling, some were sick, and man, they, just, they still just made it happen last minute, and uh, wow, I appreciate it. Dominic, wherever you were, thank you, buddy. I appreciate you filling in today, and Elena, I love it when you sing, girl. Come on, man. She's 14 years old. Come on. Got the anointing of God on her. Love it, man. That's what we need to be doing, seeing our young people rise up. Come on, pass the torch to them. I love it. It's exciting. Man, man, it's good to see you guys this morning. I'm feeling good this morning. I'm telling you, I think God's going to do something special in this place. I believe that he's going to bring freedom. I believe that he's going to deliver strength by the power of his spirit. I feel like there's going to be joy that's going to be dealt unto us, and which is a very important thing because the joy of the Lord is our strength. I feel like the peace of God is already in this place. The devil is defeated. Come on, somebody. Jesus is Lord. Man, we got all the reason in the world to celebrate. And so just pray that God would just... Um, Send his word forth. May our hearts just be found as fertile soil. Amen. So can we just position our hearts rightly before the Lord now and just ask him to give us ears to hear? Join me in prayer, if you would, church. Father, we love you so much. God, we're grateful for your presence. We thank you, Father, that your word has told us that you desire to abide in the praises of your people. And so, Father, we thank you that as we lift up the name of Jesus in this place, that, God, we sense your presence. And we thank you where your presence is, where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. There's liberty. And so, God, I pray freedom and liberty in this house. We stand against the distractions of the enemy. We know that we have an enemy. His name is Satan, and we just speak against the wiles of the devil. We speak against his tactics. We call the works of the devil kneel, void, dead in the name of Jesus. But we pray today, your kingdom come, your will be done in this place. And we pray all of these things for your glory in the matchless name of Jesus. And all the saints of God says, amen, amen. Well, if you are just joining us, I want to join in uh, with what Pastor Daniel said and say, first of all, uh, those of you that are our guests this morning, man, it is so good. I got to meet a few of you, man. It's so good to have you guys. And I know some of you, when you're a guest, you're kind of praying for, is this my home church or not? Can I just say, welcome home? I mean, I'm telling you, there's a place for you here. We're excited about what God is doing. Um, man, the series we've been on marked, this has been just one that's been stirring in my spirit. I know that when I was walking through all that I, I walked through, I just came out of brain surgery six months ago. How crazy is that? After the doctor said it might be about three months before I live. Come on, God, you're so good. So I got a little bit of a fire in my heart. It'll give you a little bit of a lens to see things differently through after walking through something like that. But I want to just throw this thought out there, this truth out there that I pray that you grab a hold of right from the beginning, you are marked by God. You're marked by God. You're called by God. You're anointed by God. You are set aside for God's special purpose. And what I want to do this morning is I want to 
reinforce that truth because the world will cause you to doubt each of those things that I just said about you. And so I'm going to give you the first, or I'm sorry, the sixth installment of our series. And by the way, didn't Christian Brown do such an excellent job <laughs> preaching the word of God last week? I know that him and Antoinette are on their way to Hawaii. They're probably watching us right now. I'm just a little jelly right now, buddy, as my teenagers say. A little jealous right now. But um, I'm so grateful that we have not only a bunch of great communicators in our church body, but uh, even more so that we have folks like Christian who have a passion for the things of God, uh, namely the presence of God and the people of God. So thank you, Christian, and thank you, Antoinette, who I know is either watching or will be watching later. I want to say thank you to you as well for taking on the full load of the household while Christian was preparing. As a matter of fact, can I just say that anytime someone gets up here and they prepare a message and they share it with you um, and it ministers to you, like, thank them, okay? It's a good thing to do. I know it's coming a little awkward for me because I'm going to give a message a lot, but um, thank them, but also thank their spouse because if it weren't for them, um, they wouldn't be able to pray and to prepare that word uh, to share with you, okay? Are you with me on that? Jody likes chai tea lattes. I'm j just saying, just, just throwing that out there. Thank me for that, babe, later on. All right, get your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 5, verse 13. We're going to read up to maybe about verse 16. And I know this is going to be a scripture that many of you are, are familiar with, but I want you to see it through a specific lens. So we're going to read it, and then I'll, I'll just talk about what we're going to talk about. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, we read that and we see that, but we're hearing it and we're reading it through the day in which we live. But what I would like to propose to you is that when Jesus actually said that, it was to a first century, primarily Gregorian, Eastern, Jewish culture, who would have probably heard it in a much different way than you and I would have heard it. And so let me just start by exposing what I believe is the weakness of our day. And that is that we are living, breathing, and operating in a culture that values achievement above anything else. What you and I have been taught with every little inlet possible from the world is that we must achieve in order to be anything of value. And it's created this mindset to where we value steps and processes more than we do time and patience. Like we want mechanical steps, not organic growth, right? We say things like, just, just tell me what to do. 
this thing is broken in my life. So just give me the four things that I'm supposed to do in order to make it not broken. As if life ever obeyed that desire. We want doing and we don't trust being. We're warped by shame and we're told on every front that we're not enough. Guys, here's the thing. Like, I don't hate social media. I think some of you probably think that I do. I just like strongly despise it. <laughs> but I think that social media does nothing but reinforce this fact. As a matter of fact, even our play has turned into performance rather than pleasure. Brene Brown, who was a researcher at the University of Houston, um, some of you may have heard her TED Talk. She gave like the number one TED Talk ever uh, to be uh, filmed. She spoke about this thing, about vulnerability and shame. And Brene said that men and women, they experience the pressure of achievement. Like we all experience it, yet we do so in different ways. So I just want to break that down just for a minute because uh, I thought there was something that was so good that, that ties in with what we're, we're talking about this morning. First, she said, this is how women experience it. Brene says, women are expected and sometimes even desired to be perfect, yet we're not allowed to look as if we're working for it. We just want it to materialize somehow. Like everything should be effortless. The expectation is to be natural beauties, Natural mothers, natural leaders, and naturally good parents. And we wanted to belong to naturally fabulous families. And so Brene goes on to argue that in an achievement-based culture where perfection is so prevalent, women are forced into impossible either-or situations. And, and listen to the list that she gives here. Here's the list. Be perfect, but don't make a fuss about it. And don't take away from your, your family or work to achieve your perfection. If you're really good, like it should just come naturally and, and be easy to you. Don't upset anyone or hurt anyone's feelings, but say what's on your mind. Dial the sexuality way up, but after the kids are down and the dog's been walked and the house is clean, but dial it way down at the PTA meeting. And whatever you do, don't confuse the two, right? He goes on to say, but just, just be yourself, but not if it means being shy or unsure. Don't make people feel uncomfortable, but be honest. Don't get too emotional, but don't get too detached either. Too emotional and you're hysterical. Too detached and you're just a cold-hearted witch. She uses different language, but she's a researcher, and I'm a pastor, so I augmented that quote right there. <laughs> but this is what Brene Brown said that women feel in an achievement-based culture. You've got to do. You've got to be. And they feel the weight of perfection, but only in that pursuit of perfection, it has to appear as if they're not working at it. Come on. Can any of you... Ladies, relate to what this, this pressure that you're seeing and you're feeling from culture. Are, are we hitting this on the right spot, ladies? Help me out here. Yeah, okay. And so when we get in bed at night and we scroll through our, our social media and we see the cropped images of other people's lives and we say, oh, wow, they're super mom. And there's a, the super wife. And they have a super family. 
And oh my gosh, look what they had for dinner. We, like we had ramen noodles and hamburger, but you know, Superwoman here has been working on that salad all day long from all the vegetables that she grew from her organic garden in her backyard. Now think about what this does. If you've got to be perfect, can you ever even say no, or do you have to say yes to every opportunity? I mean, the pressure is other mothers are doing it, so you should be able to also. See, this is the siren song of perfection, and it is soul-crushing. Now, men, according to Brene in her research, uh, says that men experience this achievement-based culture differently than women. Like, basically, men live under this pressure of one unrelenting message. Do not be perceived as weak. Like, don't fail. Don't fail at work. Don't fail in your marriage. Don't fail in bed. Don't fail with your money. Don't fail with your children. Do whatever you must, but don't fail. Oh, and by the way, don't be wrong. Don't, don't get criticized or ridiculed. Don't be soft, and don't reveal any fear or weakness. So the woman in an achievement culture says, I've got to be perfect. And the man in an achievement culture says, I can't be weak or ever fail. Now let me just go and clear the deck for everyone here. Ladies, you're not perfect. You can't be. You never will be. And if you try to be, you're going to find that it's going to be exhausting, empty, hollow, and crush any vitality and happiness that you might ever have. Men, you are weak. I don't care how much creatine you're ingesting. You're weak. And you know, we scroll through social media, because it's not just the ladies, the men do it just as much. We scroll through there, and we see a guy with six-pack abs who's got, and we look at us, we got a dad bod, right? I tell my wife, I'm no longer calling it a dad bod, I'm calling it a father figure. Just saying, that's my coin term right there. But look, we feel the pressure because I feel the pressure, right? We feel this pressure now of, gosh, I'm going to have to go to the gym six days a week. And so now all of a sudden I'm fixated on this achievement status that culture says that we should all have. So now our women are exhausted and worn out, always feeling like they lack and that they're not enough. They're not enough for their husband, not enough for their Children, not enough for their families, not enough for their job, not enough for the church. And our men, they're afraid to try anything for fear of failure. And they withhold connection for fear of looking weak, which affects every single relationship in their life. And so this is the lens that's been placed over our eyes when we read a text like this. And so I want us to read this text again, and then I want to ask you to consider seeing it from a different lens. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, 
Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, because of the day in which we live, we're far more apt to read that text and miss some really beautiful things that apply to the places where we don't measure up. Yet God says some very specific and beautiful things about us now. But what our eyes and what our hearts are drawn to is, oh my gosh, I'm not as salty as I should be. Or, oh man, that's me. I've got my light under a bowl. Maybe Pastor Chris will give me seven steps on how to become more salty. (laughs) Give me that mechanical process. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Give me that checklist, and then I can become salt and light. But here's what I want to present to you, and it's some truth that will set you free. And that's us recognizing that where we fall short, and we all fall short, at the same time, the text says something very specific and beautiful about us right now now. Like, yes, we all fall short of the glory of God, and that's a very serious matter, right? It's a heaven or hell matter, as a matter of fact. And all we got to do is look to the cross, put our faith and devotion to the risen King of glory, Jesus, to be reconciled to God. Amen? But what we often do is we fail to recognize how God sees us right now and how God asks us to see others. And the reason that I'm, I'm saying this It's because the you in the text, you are the salt, you are the light. That you is emphatic and restrictive. Now, here's what I mean. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. First of all, he's not talking about everyone here. He's talking about, and he's talking to his followers. And not just to his followers, catch this, but his followers as a group. So the you, emphatic and restrictive, says that if we're going to understand this text, we have to understand our relationship with God and how that works itself out in our relationship with one another. And only then, When we see it rightly, can we address this fallen short of the glory of God in a way that brings life and that brings um, uh, joy instead of bringing shame and guilt and not falling prey or surrendering to the gods of perfectionism and strength. And so with that said, let's take a look at our relationship with God. One of the unique things that we need to know about how God sees us is how God sees us now, long before we actually become that. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Oftentimes, you'll see throughout Scripture where God will give someone a new name that they have no business having. Like, their name doesn't seem to fit who they are in the natural. And one great example of this, you can read in the book of Genesis, where God comes to a man named Abram, and a woman named Sarai. And God says to Abram, you're going to be the father of many nations. Now, mind you, Abram is 75 years old, and Sarai was somewhere in her 70s. And they hadn't had any children up until this point. And so Abram 
He hears this from the Lord, and he doesn't see how this can be possible. And so God repeats himself to Abram again, and then he says to him, Abram, your name is no longer going to be Abram, but Abraham, which means the father of many nations. And by the way, Sarai, your name now is going to be Sarah. You're going to be the mother of many nations. So here God calls Abraham and Sarah the father and the mother of many nations. And God tells them, I'm going to cause your descendants to be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And so when Abraham turns 90, he still has this name. It's been reiterated to him that this is who he is, but still he has no children. And then 10 more years later, when Abraham is 100 years old, 25 years has passed since God gave the name Abraham to Abram. And just to put 25 years in perspective, can I say that's a good amount of time to be told that you're going to have kids, especially at 75 years old, and now you're 100 and nothing has happened yet? I mean, 25 years ago from today, that would have been like 1997. That was the year that, that Jody and I got married. Like, I was... A junior in college, I had to think about that, and a junior in college going into my senior year in college at that time. And again, just to put it in perspective, that was the year that Princess Diana died. Um, who else? John Denver died that year. Chris Farley died that year. If you were listening to the radio in 1997, you would have been listening to Hanson uh, singing Mbop. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Daniel, you can pull that one off, brother. Or you could pull this one off, the Spice Girl singing Wanna Be. <laughs> he said, no. Or Black Street singing No Diggity. Yeah. Some are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Others are like, mm-hmm. Back when Buffy was killing all the vampires, you remember that? And Will Smith was doing that little flashy thing on us. <laughs> you would have been logging into AOL, right? Remember that? With a 56K modem if you were lucky enough to have one. Or you had a pager. That's what I had. Or as we used to call them, beepers. That's right. Yeah, beepers. If you're a drug dealer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, some of you weren't even born 25 years ago, right? All of that to say, 25 years is a good amount of time. Yet God called Abram, Abraham, 25 years before he produced a child. Of course, this isn't the only place that we see this in Scripture. Uh, in fact, and this is one of my favorites because it gives me so much hope, is when Jesus renamed Simon Peter. Let's take a look at it. Flip with me over to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read to you uh, 13 through 18. The scripture says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, if you know the life and the story of Peter, 
it would seem as if renaming Simon as Peter, it's, that doesn't quite line up with his person, right? I mean, Peter is unstable. He's impulsive. He's insecure. And not just a little bit either. Like, he reeks of these things. It's not like there was just a few bad moments in Peter's life, but he was consistently unstable, insecure, and impulsive in the worst ways. And just to give proof to that, you can just scroll down three more verses later to where Jesus tells his disciples that he's about to suffer many things and be killed. But then Peter pulls Jesus off to the side, rebukes Jesus. Can you imagine the call of that? And then he says to Jesus, he goes, Lord, that will never happen to you. And then Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, this is just one example that we could list from the life of Peter. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of them in here. Like there was the one time in Mark chapter 1 where Peter's mother-in-law was at his house, and she was deathly ill, but then Peter brings the guys over to the house. I mean, can, can you imagine like trying to have that conversation in, in modern day, right? Um, let's imagine my um, amazing, awesome, wonderful mother-in-law uh, was at the house and, and she's like, like on her deathbed sick and then all of a sudden I, I pick up the phone because that's not something you would text, right? You just pick up the phone and call and say, oh, hey, babe, by the way, um, the, me and the guys were coming over. I know your mom's there, and I know she's like really bad sick, but hey, we're going to stay over in the playroom, right? I mean, so we, we won't bother you guys. And, and oh, yeah, Judas is with us. I know you got a bad feeling about this guy, but he's a pretty good guy, you know? Then there was this time in Matthew ch uh, chapter 14 where uh, Peter ran out on the water and nearly drowned. Then in John chapter 18, he impulsively tries to kill the servant of the high priest. And, of course, all four gospel accounts record his betrayal and the denial of Jesus. But then the Spirit lands on Peter, and he preaches a couple of sermons where thousands get saved, and he plays a key part in the first Gentile becoming a Christian. Yet then we look in the book of Galatians where Paul had to rebuke him for being an overt racist by refusing to eat with the Gentiles when some powerful Jews from Jerusalem showed up. And this is the man that Jesus says, I am going to name you Peter, Petros, rock. But he's more like a marshmallow, right? Because there's really nothing like rockish about him. He continually makes mistakes. He's continually insecure. And he won't stop talking to prove his value and his worth. But I love that God calls this insecure, unstable impulsive man, the rock. If we had time, we could see all of the great things that the Spirit of God accomplished in Peter's life. But what I want you to catch is that Peter is first called a rock before he makes some of the biggest mistakes of his life. I mean, like being called Satan by Jesus is, is pretty bad. You think that that right there would kind of be the low point in his life and the bottom of the barrel, right? But Peter tops that one by cursing and publicly denying Jesus. One time they said it was like one of the gospel writers says that he was even like with an earshot of Jesus. And he didn't just do it once, he did it three times. And here's the thing that hits me so strong. 
Jesus knew that he was going to do all of this. Yet he calls Simon Peter. He calls him the rock. What's going on here? Well, God sees in us what we cannot see in ourselves. And this is true because God is not limited by our weakness or our imperfection. I mean, Abraham, Sarah, Peter. I mean, those guys, I mean, like Abraham and Sarah, they had the desire, right? Matter of fact, uh, e even the desperation to be who it was that God had, had called them to be. But there was nothing that they could do in their own strength to make it happen. I mean, you can just be guaranteed that they were trying, you know? I mean, it wasn't because God needed to give them an anatomy lesson in order to know how to become a mother or a father. Are you with me? They've been trying to have children, and they were desperate, and they were dependent, which, by the way, is a good place to be anytime you find yourself up against something that's bigger than you, and that's to turn to God and to look to God. Just for the record, I found that pretty much any call that God places on your life will be bigger than you. Why? Because if you were able to do it on your own strength, then you would take credit for it. But God calls you not based on what man sees and not based on what you see or what you don't see, but his grace calls us in such a way that he gets the glory for the things that he does both in and through our lives. So it wasn't in Abraham, Sarah, or Peter's effort nor was it in their discipline, but it was God who was able and willing to do exceedingly abundantly above all that they could have ever asked or thought according to his power, which was at work within them. You see, God doesn't call perfect men and women. You're not marked because of your gifting, your talent, or your ability. You're called because of his grace. Now, how does all of this tie together with what we first read there in Matthew chapter 5? Well, here's how. The same God who called Abram, Abraham. And the same God who called Simon, Peter. is the same God in Matthew chapter 5 who calls you the salt and the light of the world. Now, how can he do that? Well... It's because, first of all, God calls things not as though they were. He has the ability to do that because he is God. You see, when God calls us, when God marks us, he does so in conjunction with the work that he's doing both in us and through us. He calls us salt in such a way that he preserves our flavor. And he works as an enemy of decay. And also as a beacon of hope that shows the penetrating power of the gospel. And he does so through our relationships with him, as we said. But he also does so, he does his work through our relationship with others. And this, here's what I meant whenever earlier I said uh, that being salt and light is emphatic and restrictive. And I said it this way just a couple of weeks ago. I said it's about you, but it's not just about you. You see, one of the primary ways that God shapes us into more of who he's already called us to be is via the grace of the people of God. 
Essentially, he's saying, you are salt. You are light. Like, that's true about you now. But you're going to grow in your saltiness. You're going to grow in your brightness. I think this is where God's words referencing whenever it says that he wants to take us from glory to glory. But it's going to take place over a period of time. And it's going to take place immersed in a community of saints who understand that we're all broken. And that we're all in need of grace. And that we're all in need of a savior. It's a safe place that requires us to be vulnerable and honest about where we actually are. And it's an understanding of the gospel that enlightens us and should shatter the notion of we have to be perfect or that we can't be weak. You see, the gospel says that you're imperfect and that you're hopelessly weak. Like, that's the message of the gospel, which is contrary to the message that we're getting from our culture. And by the way, when I say a safe place, like, I'm talking about us putting all the cards down on the deck and recognizing that we all come up short. Like, I can promise you that as your pastor, I'm going to let you down at some point. Hang around long enough. Because I'm in need of, I'm a human being in need of God's grace, and you're a human being in need of God's grace. Now, I've been the recipient of that grace from God through Jesus Christ, which then should empower me to be gracious to others who, like me, have also fallen short. So, therefore, now I don't have to pretend to be more than what culture says that I have to be. And this is one of the many things that I love about the gospel because when I see what culture says, yet I feel differently, like I don't have to have it all together and I'm not that strong. But watch this. If I don't have a community where I can openly share that with other believers, like how alone must I feel? I mean, how lonely must it be to project this image of yourself as if you don't have any struggles, doubts, or weaknesses, but within authentic, intentional community, we understand these things about one another and about ourselves. Listen, God didn't call Mavericks and Lone Rangers. I had a pastor who used to say even Lone Ranger had Tonto, okay? God did not call us to be Lone Rangers, I don't know about you, but I need people that I am consistently doing life with who know what my fears are and who know what my struggles are. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go and share that with just anyone. As a matter of fact, there are some people that you don't need to share those things with. Are are you with me? Especially those who can't handle it. But I'm talking about over a period of time building relationship with others. And to do that, we've got to go to those places, those safe places where we can be vulnerable and walk in deep community, consistent community. Now, I highlight this because there are many people that need to hear this. And I'm not just talking about here in our church or even online, but just there's a lot of people in the church today that needs to hear this. And I'm talking about those who all they ever do is they go to church, sit in the crowd, listen to preaching, 
or all they ever do is, is watch online. But they've given in to the spirit of our age, which would have you hiding and seeking information rather than belonging and being shaped and formed by others. Hey, guys, I'm not saying that this is easy, right? Like the Bible says that iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I don't know if you've ever considered that process. I made a couple of knives um, like a year or so ago. And I'll tell you, there's sparks and fragments that fly. There's hammers involved. Uh, There's also fire (laughs) involved. And so I'm not trying to be overly romantic about the process because it can simply be difficult. But to embed yourself in community with others is how God most consistently makes us into more of what he says that we already are. Let me just lay this out in a practical example for you. There are a handful of people in my life that I consistently engage with in community. And these relationships have been one of the greatest tools that God has used to mold me into the person that he's called me to be. For example, I pray the way that I do because of Pastor Jerry Chavez. I trust God the way that I do because of Jody Tomlinson. I learn to apply excellence to whatever I do because of my dad who's out serving right now. Thanks, Dad. I'm a hard worker because of Alan Ashley and Buck Bell. I'm challenged to study God's word more because of Ines Kowalski and Christian Brown. I've learned to become a more loyal person because of Eric and Christina Carter. I take steps of faith because of Nick and Millie Simonick's example. I've become a better student because of Elton and Donna Brooke. Now, if I don't mention your name, it's only because the list is a long list, but watch this. I am who I am by the grace of God, and God's grace is often carried out and worked through the community of the people of God. Some of the people that I just mentioned uh, may not even realize how they've positively affected me, and that's because they didn't just sit down and uh, teach me these things, but within community, much more is caught than what is taught. Are you with me? I'm talking about the things that rub off on one another to make us more like the people that God has already called us and marked us to be. I think Hebrews 10.25 was communicating this very point right here, and it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Have you ever read the Bible before and you, you just, you're not real sure about the, uh, the tone uh, in which it's being said? Like you wonder if there's, because you know that it's not monotone. And, and I've just got to believe that in, in this particular passage of scripture, when it was being read, it wasn't monotone. I think it was, let us not neglect meeting together. As some people do. I could just see that actually. As some of y'all do. It's probably what he's saying, right? As some people do. But encourage one another. It's hard to encourage one another if you're never around one another. Hello? But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. (laughs) Repetition is the best teacher. So you're going to hear me say something that I've told you before, but watch this. We are better together. And I know that this concept is easier uh, for some of you more so than others. But watch, we need each other. The Bible says that we know in part and we see in part. And here's the thing. I have a part to play 
and so do you. But when we bring our parts together, we get a much clearer picture of Jesus that we get to present to the world. Are you with me? Maybe that's the reason Jesus took out John chapter 17 and prayed the whole prayer of John 17, saying, Lord, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. It's hard to be one if you never spend a time with one another. But then Jesus goes on to say that the world would believe that I am he. Wow. Hmm. What if the revival that we're all so longing for, desperately longing for, is destined to come as a result of us gathering together, sharing life together, praying together? Now, I know that sounds overly simplistic, but I think that that's oftentimes the problem in the church. We overlook what we consider too simple. Yet Jesus says that we just need to have the faith like a child. I mean, when's the last time someone called you on the phone and said, hey, I just want to come over and, and, and pray with your family? Or when's the last time you called someone and said, hey, we just wanted to come over for a few minutes and just pray over your family? Unfortunately, that would be a foreign concept to the majority of believers. But this is what we need, church. This is what we need, because if not, then we'll fall into the web of lies that culture has taught us, saying that we need to project perfection. We don't need anyone. I'm good. And the more that you try to project perfection, the more anxious you'll be, the more depressed you'll be, and on and on and on. I would go as far as to say this is the real epidemic in our day. Which, by the way, for those of you that are older, um, th th this wasn't necessarily like that 50 years ago. I mean, culture's always shifting and changing, but today we have an achievement-based culture, one that, first of all, tells men that they can't fail, that they can't be weak, and it's an achievement-based culture that tells women you better be perfect. But the gospel has a completely different message. It's not about doing it's about being, being the person that God has called you to be. And if you don't know who God has called you to be, um, can I just encourage you? I can't encourage this enough. Spend time in God's word. I, I, like, I need to slide that probably 30 times in every message, like just keep sliding back over to spend time in God's word, get to my points, come back over, spend time in God's word, you know, come back, get, spend time in God's word. And you say, man, that's overly simplistic. Are you doing it? Oh, come on now. Don't make me call you out by the Spirit because I know, I know. I know I'm just talking about just you. I'm talking about the church, okay? So many believers are not doing it, and we wonder why we're weak and we're impotent and why we're depressed. Come on. We need to spend time in His Word. We must spend time in His Word. And if you don't know where to start, guess what? Matthew chapter 5, what we're talking about right here, is a good starting place. As a matter of fact, Christian did an excellent job talking about that identity last week. First Peter 2, oh man, tear that one apart right there. First Peter 2, 9, but we're a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Oh my goodness, that's so rich. But we've got to spend time renewing our minds or else, listen, we're being bombarded everywhere. So you're constantly being told stuff. You don't even realize it. And if you aren't being... Like, 
If you're not spending time doing this, I'm promising you by default, you're receiving the message of the world because they're seeing to it that it's there. I mean, notifications, this and that. My phone, I'm about ready to throw this thing in the trash, man. Yesterday, I, I, we about had a fight because it wouldn't shut up. Because there's constantly stuff that's calling for our attention. And, 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 and listen, it's all got a message. Think about that. Nothing is without purpose. If you're seeing something in front of you, I'm even talking about the signs driving down the street. If there's a message that's being said, it's telling you something. Oh, you need this. And you need this because you don't have it. But we'll sell it to you 50%. I'll buy one, get one free. You're going to save on Prime's Day. You didn't save anything if you spent money. Hello? You might have spent 20% less, but you still spent. You didn't save. Just saying. I'm getting off my little soapbox there. But we got to know who God's called us to be, and we've got to rest in that calling. Let me, let me just let me close with one last thought here. I feel like that I can't teach this passage in Matthew chapter 5 without bringing a little bit of understanding as to what it means when the scripture says, um, if salt loses its saltiness. I, I know all the millennials and the, the G's in probably laughing every time I say uh, salty because that means something a little bit different. That's, the salty means to be kind of fired up and kind of angry. That's not what Jesus is talking about there in millennials and Gen Z years, all right? Okay. Um, those of you that maybe uh, didn't sleep through chemistry, <laughs> You know what uh, salt is? It's sodium chloride, and it's an extremely powerful and strong compound. Now watch this. Scientifically speaking, like, you can't make salt lose its saltiness. The only way that you, the salt loses its saltiness is if it's so diluted with liquid that the liquid overpowers the saltiness so that you no longer taste it. For example, if I take a teaspoon of salt and, and I drop it in my cup of coffee and, and I drink it, like I'm going to taste it and I'm probably going to spit it out of my mouth. If I take that same teaspoon and I put it in a gallon jug of good old Florida sun-baked tea, um, it's not going to taste so good because I'm still going to be able to taste that salt. But if I take that same teaspoon and I drop it in a pond, that pond's not going to be salty. Why? Because the volume of the water would trump the teaspoon of salt. And so what Jesus is saying in this text is, don't be so absorbed in the day and the age in which you live as to not be distinct. And maybe you say, okay, how do I do that? Well, it doesn't work that way. I mean, I could give you a list, but you're not going to obey it. Um, because it's about being, not doing. Church, I hope you're catching this because this is where the gospel frees us and causes us to live in a place of rest as we surrender to God. I can be a human being instead of a human doing. And yes, God will cause us to be more salty. And yes, God will cause our light uh, to shine brighter as the weeks and the months and the years go by. But we don't have to live under this pressure of measuring up. We can simply be children of God who get to live without shame or guilt because of the grace of Jesus. Hey, we can be who God's called us to be. I'm not sure if you've caught the 
theme of today's message, but the theme could probably be just summed up in our, our great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, let the grace of God work in you and through you because God has called you. He's called us. He's marked us to be a part of the kingdom of God for such a time as this. And when we grab hold of this truth and live it out, do you know what happens as a result? We multiply. We make more disciples. This is where we see the fruition of the marking or the calling of God that's on our life. Once we realize that truth that we've been named, that we've been marked by God, then the power and the strength of God's spirit will grow us into more of what he has already called us to be. And as a result, people will turn to God. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet and pray with me. You received God's word this morning. So good, Father. You're so kind, so merciful. Hallelujah. Join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us as your own. We thank you that you see within us what we don't see in ourselves. Because only you know what you put inside of us. And I ask you, Father, that you would give us the eyes to see what you see, both in our lives, but also in the lives of the community that you've surrounded us with. May we walk in the calling to which you have called us. And may we have the faith to call forth the good things that you've placed both in us and around us. Jesus, I'm so thankful for the church. We are a group of imperfect people, yet you love us perfectly. May our lives bring you glory in everything that we say and do. May we continue to grow as the salt and the light of the world. And may our lights shine in such a way that others would see the works of God through our life and turn to you. In this attitude right now of prayer, I just want to ask, who's here this morning? that you've been trying to project the image of what culture says and you're trying to be strong and you're picking yourself and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and, and, or ladies, you're trying to be perfect, yet you know you're not and I'm not and, and, and no one is, but you're being called by him who's called you and he's called you to himself. Can I tell you something, friend? God loves you so dearly. His love is greater than anything that you could ever possibly imagine. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God wants you to have everlasting life. In heaven, yes, Thank God for heaven. I can't wait. Man, woo, what a glorious day that's going to be. But he also came to bring you life and to bring it in abundance. He wants to give you life here on this earth. He wants his life, his joy, his peace, his strength. Does that mean that it's going to be easy? I'm going to promise you it's not going to be easy because it means surrendering. 
It means laying your life down. It means taking up your cross. So the call that I'm presenting to you right now is not an easy call because really it's a call to die, a call to die to yourself and live for him. But I just want to ask who's here this morning and you've never put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Friend, I can promise you And I will just tell you the words of Jesus when he says, I am the way. There's no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. The only way that you and I will ever be reconciled to God. And the only way that you and I will ever go into heaven. And by the way, friend, when you breathe your last breath, and at some point, each and every one of us will. And we never know when that day is going to become or when it's going to come. We will stand before God. And the only way that we will get to spend eternity in heaven, because there's only two options, heaven or hell. That's it. By the way, for those of you that say, I don't know about that hell thing, you know, I don't think God sends people to hell. No, we choose to go to hell, because you know what hell is? It's a place where people can go and pay for their sins if they want to. But it's such a stupid notion to think that we would do that because Jesus paid for our sins if we would put our faith in him and live for him. And friend, can I tell you one more thing? Living for God is so, 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 understatement of the year, so, so much better than living for the world. I lived for the world for a good period of my life. If the world was better, we would have met at a bar and not me being up here preaching to you. I'm telling you, the life of God, the peace of God, the love of God is greater than anything that this world will offer you. I promise you that anything in this world is a substitute as best. It's a counterfeit. It won't work. It won't last. I lived for Friday Night Lights as a teenager the football field, but guess what? They turned the lights off. I wouldn't want to date whatever beautiful girl that I thought I could, but guess what? The date ended. I'd go to whatever big party was going on, but guess what? The party came to an end. And that's what the world gives you, things that are temporary, but what God wants to give you is eternal. So if you want to shift your focus and your way of living from the world, and you want to repent, and instead of going that direction, you're going to turn and say, I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ. I want to give you that opportunity right now. But what it means is you acknowledging to God what we have all acknowledged, and many have already prayed this prayer, and that is that we have sinned. We've come up short, and that we can't do anything good to bring to God. As a matter of fact, our very best efforts, the Bible says it this way, your righteousness is as filthy rags to God. We have to have the grace of God. That's the only way we can be reconciled. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ, the spilled blood of Jesus. His death and his beautiful resurrection that brings us life. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, would you please pray with me right now? And I want to lead you in a prayer. You take ownership of these words, but it's you saying to God, I want to repent. I want to go from this direction to that direction. And then we're going to surround ourselves with the community of God because this is what we do oftentimes. We pray for people and then they leave and then there's no community. we got to have community. We, we're better together. We, we're God, God said it's not good that man should be alone. Not being just gender specific there like it's not good for women to be alone either. Hello. We need one another. Pray with me this prayer if you would. If you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ, you want to be a follower of Jesus, pray this out loud. 
saints of God to join in with us. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior, forgive me of my sin, and help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says. And so now I want to know you and make you known in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Come on, can we thank God for his grace? Can we thank him for his mercy and his love? Listen, um, I want to bless you and dismiss you, uh, but before I do, real quick, look at me. If you prayed that prayer, please, as you leave, you're going to see a banner outside, and we'll have a community group leader that's going to be standing there that's got some information they want to put in your hands. There's a banner that says, um, I have decided. Yes, I have decided multiple times. And so if you decided today, I want to live for Jesus Christ, please stop because they've got some information they want to put in your hands. And, and uh, something else I want to share with you, especially those of you that are online, um, you can go to our website, which is destinychurchjacksonville.com, and then put in forward slash Jesus. And that's a tool that I've created, uh, not only for our church body, for those that give their lives to Christ. It's four videos. They're all five minutes apiece, uh, real uh, easy. We've stripped it down to what you need to know, but they are some very important things. As a matter of fact, utilize those things, guys, as you guys are leading people to Christ. Um, man, share that with folks, uh, but especially those of you online, we know that we have people all over uh, at least 12 states that watch every Sunday. Isn't that awesome? And so um, if that's one of you and you are uh, you've accepted Jesus we want to encourage you to go and to reach out to us but uh, let me bless you and uh, dismiss you and send you out as salt and light amen may the Lord bless you may he keep you may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in the matchless name of Jesus and all of God's church says